Oh, right, okay. Hello everybody. Uh, welcome back to another episode of This Is Not History. It's been a long time again. I know this is quickly becoming a tradition on this podcast, me just apologising for the lateness of every episode. Obviously, uh, back at university now, um, so things are starting to get a bit more busy again. So I hate to say it, and I know, and I know this will all make you extremely sad, but the episodes will be increasingly further apart uh, between uploads. So sorry about that. Other than that, I hope we're all doing okay. Um, and uh, yeah, enough rambling as is also a tradition on this podcast. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. So this one, um, if you haven't already read the title, is What If Russia Never Became Communist? There have only been a few regime changes in history uh, with a more drastic change in government than that which gave rise to the Soviet Union. It hadn't been since the French Revolution in the late 18th century that such an extremely radical ideology had taken over a major European power. The odds of Vladimir Lenin and the Bolsheviks actually being the ones that managed to wrestle control over Russia after the provisional government fell um, was actually highly unlikely. However, the only reason that they even had a chance at taking over was due to some bad policy decisions on behalf of the previous government. Decisions that then led to a growth in support for Lenin's movement. And consequently, the Soviets went on to shape the rest of the 20th century. But what if they didn't? What if they never got that opportunity to take over Russia and influence the rest of the 20th century's politics? Let's explore an alternate timeline where the USSR was never established. We'll be looking at how this affects the history of Europe, and especially in the East. We'll also be asking, how would this affect social politics, and how would it impact future conflicts? But, as you will know if you've listened for long enough, before we look at the alternate history, we have to look at the real history. So here is some historical context on Russia. Okay, so firstly, let's talk about Tsarist Russia. Now, if you think that modern day Russia is big, then then you're in for a shock. The Russian Empire was one of the largest empires in human history, covering almost a sixth of the entire planet. The territory spanned over not only Russia, but also modern day Ukraine, Belarus, the Baltic states of Latvia, Estonia and Lithuania, and a big chunk of Poland. There was also Finland, Moldova. It spread south into the Caucasus region, so these are the countries of Armenia, Azerbaijan and Georgia, and even parts of Turkey. Central Asia, so this is Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan were also occupied. This was a properly titanic power, one of the most powerful in the world at the time. And leading this power was the Romanov royal family. So the Romanov dynasty um, were the autocratic monarchs who had been running the show for the last 300 years and had unimaginable amounts of wealth. 
while the vast majority of the empire's population lived as peasants in rural areas working the land. Uh, during the late 19th and early 20th century, Russia had been undergoing big changes, as was the rest of Europe. So the Industrial Revolution had begun decades ago with countries like the UK, Germany, France, United States, etc., etc., all industrialising rapidly. This was also happening in the Russian Empire at an especially quick pace. However, the majority of people remained poor despite the increased labour opportunities that factory work provided. Hundreds of thousands flocked to industrial cities like St. Petersburg, uh, Moscow, Kiev, um, all for low-paid jobs in factories. Workers' rights were practically non-existent. Um, this explosion in industry led to a huge hunger for social change in the country. Russia became a breeding ground for radical thinking. The centuries-old Romanov dynasty and the whole institution of monarchy was about to run headfirst into a brick wall, the modern age. So in 1894, Tsar Alexander III died suddenly, and his son Nicky became Tsar Nicholas II. At 26 years old, he became the leader of the largest country on earth. Who is qualified for a position like that at such an age? He was quiet, indecisive, and very much living in the shadow of his dad. Being an inexperienced leader, he relied heavily on his advisers. This meant that he would reject any liberalisation and uphold the principles of autocratic rule. So there were some notable mismanaged disasters in the first half of his reign. Um, the most notable in my mind being the disastrous war with Japan in 1904. It was widely expected all around the world that it would end in a Russian victory. However, the Japanese destroyed the Russian Pacific Fleet, their navy, at Port Arthur, forcing the Russians to send their Baltic fleet, which was on the other side of the world, all the way over to fight the Japanese, and then the Japanese destroyed that one too. On land, the story wasn't much better. The fighting lasted a year and had a total of 150,000 casualties. Russia quickly sued for peace, making it the first time since the fall of Constantinople, since 1453, that an Asian power had defeated a European one. And that's a hell of a street to lose. And it's going to cost you a lot of prestige as a nation and support from your people. This only served to fan the flames of revolution at home, namely the 1905 revolution, which some actually call the first Russian revolution, um, which saw thousands of Tsarist workers, people who actually liked Nicholas II, people that thought that the Tsar would be able to benevolently bestow upon them uh, a better life. Thousands of workers marched onto his palace to ask for his help, and it, it became a massacre. It's now known today as Bloody Sunday. What came next was an explosion in support for revolutionary movements. Um, it's really it's hard to overstate just how much the war with Japan damaged the Tsar's standing amongst the people and how much it fermented revolutionary sentiment. So skimming over a lot of very interesting history that I'd love to talk about, but this episode would be about an hour long. Um, we get to the Great War in 1914. So Russia decides to step in to protect their Slavic brethren, the Serbs, Serbia, along with their allies Britain and France versus 
Germany, Austria-Hungary, and later on the Ottoman Empire. So, as you all will probably know, the war took a terrible toll on Europe as a whole, but especially the empire, the Russian Empire. The Russians faced massive defeats at battles like Tannenberg, which saw huge casualties, as well as that, food and fuel shortages on the home front, so for the average Russian at home, caused even more discontent amongst the population. With more and more defeats racking up, Tsar Nicholas II did an arguably brave thing and took it upon himself to take more direct control over the military matters and travel down to the front, leaving the running of everyday business to his wife, the Tsarina Alexandra. Now, those of you who uh, know some amount of Imperial Russian history or the history of the Russian Revolution uh, would know that this is the point where Rasputin, Grigory Rasputin, gains massive control and influence in Russia. Um, Now, Rasputin, in my view, uh, he is, I'd say that he's my favourite historical figure Um, especially from the 20th century. Um, I could do an entire podcast talking about him alone, but again, for time reasons, I I just can't go into it. I I can't go into him, but I highly suggest that you read up on him because he's a crazy guy. He's he's crazy. He's He's a bit of a weird character, but basically, Rasputin had a lot of influence over the Tsarina, who was now running Russia's day-to-day politics, which led to many in the Russian aristocracy to see Rasputin as a threat to Russian national security that needed to be taken out. So Rasputin is killed in an attempt to end his influence over Russia's politics and the Tsar himself. However, the damage was done. With the Tsar being at the front commanding his troops, he was deemed responsible for any failures that happened there. Um, in what became known as the February Revolution of 1917, a protest in St. Petersburg turned into a full-blown revolution. And within a week, the Tsar had been forced to abdicate, the empire dissolved, and a republic was declared, the Russian Republic. Now, this new government, led by a young socialist named Alexander Kerensky, sought to give more power to the Duma, which was the parliament, um, for want of a better word, and possibly turn it into a truly representative legislative body. Um, However, there was a problem. The provisional government still wanted to continue fighting the war alongside its allies against Germany and Austria, something that the average Russian was opposed to. Why should they keep sending men to go fight and die in a war that really, like, what benefit would it give them? Now, as months passed... Discontent grew with the Kerensky government, with more and more soldiers dying on the front lines, which drove many to join radical political groups. Enter the Bolsheviks. The Bolsheviks were a Marxist revolutionary group led by, um, you may have heard of him, uh, Vladimir Lenin. His message of peace, land and bread appealed to many in Russia at the time. Um, This eventually culminated in a second overthrow of a Russian government in what's known as the October Revolution of 1917. This saw the Bolsheviks seize control, ending their involvement in the Great War by signing a humiliating 
peace treaty called uh, the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, um, which forced them to relinquish control over much of their territory to the German Empire. Um, and also, almost immediately after, uh, civil war broke out, you know, which isn't good if you are in Russia, obviously. Um, so the Bolsheviks and uh, their Red Army, is what they, what they called it, fought a broad coalition of anti-Soviet forces known as the White Army. Um, so this included uh, liberals, anti-Bolshevik socialists, pro-monarchists, etc., etc. However, by 1922, the communists had prevailed, establishing the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, and went on to change history forever. So, that's a very extremely brief skimmed over history um hopefully you got all that but what if that didn't happen if different choices had been made in the years leading up to the great war in regards to liberalization and granting more power to the duma the parliament it's possible that revolutionaries like lenin wouldn't have had enough popular support to take over the country anyway here's one scenario that could have happened so usually when i sit down and begin planning one of these episodes and possible alternate history scenarios, um, I usually come up with a few different outcomes. But this time, uh, it was a bit unusual. I came up with two different possible points of divergence from our own timeline, both leading to quite similar scenarios. So for the purpose of the alternate history that I've come up with, I'd say just take the second divergence point I've put here as canon, um, as it makes a bit more sense in my mind. But uh, I just thought you might as well find it a bit interesting to listen to both of them uh, regardless. And maybe you can use that as a basis for your own theories. I don't know. You decide. You, you do with that what you will. Anyway, so here's the first divergence point in this alternate history of what if Russia never became communist. So this is a world in which the 1905 revolution led to greater changes in the structure of the Russian government. After Russia's humiliation by Japan, the revolution that shook the monarchy near to the point of abdication resulted in the creation of a state Duma, a legislative assembly, which theoretically held some amount of power. Advocates for reform like Pyotr Stolypin, Pyotr Stolypin, I'm sorry if I butchered that name, uh, had attempted to decentralise power this way before. However, the Duma was still subsidiary to Tsar Nicholas, making it effectively useless. So in this alternate history, the Duma would need to be more powerful than it was in real life. It couldn't be at risk from interference from the Tsar. With more political power being transferred away from the Tsar and to civilian leaders, it's likely that the economy would be handled in a less haphazard manner with greater political participation from the public, it's likely that radical groups, i.e. the Bolsheviks, wouldn't see a significant rise in support. Um, this might leave Russia in a better state by the time World War I rolled around, so their chances of lasting to the end of the conflict might actually have been improved. In my opinion, it's an okay divergence point. Uh, it's, ju it's just not as interesting as the second in my mind. So that was a very quick divergence point. Um, here is the real juicy, juicy one that I like more. So here it is, divergence point two. This timeline starts off 
much the same as in real life. No meaningful reforms are made to curb uh, Nicholas II's power after the 1905 revolution, and Russia remains an autocratic, authoritarian monarchy. World War I breaks out in 1914, and after years of bloody fighting and unrest at home, the February Revolution still occurs. The Tsar's regime falls and a provisional government is formed. More liberal and socialist politicians like Kerensky come to power. However, the divergence from our own timeline to the alternate one occurs when the new government decides it is in Russia's best interest to pull out of the Great War. Now, this is this is big. This is pretty massive if this happens. It's, it's a big deal. Um, the reason that the Bolsheviks were later able to take over from the unpopular provisional government was because they knew that the main thing that the average Russian wanted was to stop their men being sent to the front lines and gunned down. This change essentially makes Lenin's call for peace, land and bread less effective. With the Russians pulling out, it's likely that they are still forced to sign a humiliating peace treaty like they did in our timeline. When Lenin ended Russia's involvement in the war, the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk saw them cede control over all their holdings in Poland, the Baltic states and Ukraine to the Central Powers. It obviously didn't stay that way for very long, as uh, Germany then later lost the war. However, in this alternate timeline, it's possible that the terms of this new treaty are actually aren't that harsh. If the Russians had come to the negotiating table some months sooner than they had uh, in real life, it would mean that the Germans didn't need to fight so hard for these peace terms, so they might be a little bit more lenient to them. So, point is, with the war in the East finished with, the Germans can turn their attention to the Western Front, which we'll come back to, but keep that in the back of your mind, because that is very important. So, now, this new Russian state, at peace, can now focus on matters at home. Uh, the Duma would see a huge amount of power transferred to it than it had had previously, and the royal family would either remain as a ceremonial role, like in the UK, or would be abolished altogether, turning Russia into a republic. Let's just go with that, because the Russian Republic sounds like quite a cool name, in my opinion. Again, the Bolsheviks don't hold enough power or have enough support from the population to force an uprising. This means that there can be no Russian civil war, no famine in the early 1920s as a result of collectivization policies, and of course, no Joseph Stalin. Quick jump back to Western Europe, where World War I is still raging. It's 1917, and the Russians are out. In our timeline, fighting on the Eastern Front between Germany and Russia lasted up until the October Revolution. However, in our timeline, the Russians have pulled out in March. The German Empire is no longer fighting on two fronts. So, to give you some uh, background context, the Triple Entente, that's the alliance between Britain, France and Russia, all had to put their combined efforts into keeping Germany at bay. When Russia dropped out in our timeline, many were unsure if the British and the French could actually hold out. 
by then the United States of America had joined the conflict. However, it would take months for them to raise, train and send over their armies to the Western Front. This leaves a good eight months where Germany is no longer forced to divide its attention between the Eastern and Western Fronts. There's a real possibility here that Germany could overrun the British and French positions before the Americans who entered the war in April of 1917 could reinforce them. Now, if this doesn't happen, Germany and the Central Powers win World War One. Now, that's quite a quite a big situation. That's a big change, but I don't want to go too deeply into a scenario where the Germans won World War One because this episode would go on for hours, and it also seems like a pretty interesting topic to discuss in an episode of its own. Um, let me know on Twitter if you'd like to see that. So, Germany's won, meaning all her gains in the East aren't nullified by the Treaty of Versailles like they were in our timeline. Control of the Baltics, Ukraine, Belarus, etc. are all firmly in German hands. Its territory in the Caucasus region, i.e. Armenia, Azerbaijan and Georgia, are likely handed over to the Turks. Other than that, uh, the Republic retains control over... um, the traditional Russian motherland, as well as its Central Asian land. As we move further into the 1920s and 1930s, Russia would begin to rebuild and restructure its economy. The explosion in industrialization experienced in this period under the Soviet leadership was largely thanks to the centralization of its economy. This would happen at a slower pace in the Republic, as the state would have less of a direct hand in the market, But still, the 1920s and 30s would be a period of consolidation and slow growth. Now, a second world war is likely to break out at some point. I mean, humans aren't famous for learning their lessons the first time around. So uh, I'm fairly certain that that would happen. But it's hard to say when. If there is one, and Russia somehow finds herself at war again, then it will be a war to try and recover the power and prestige she once had. Whether or not their loss of territory at the end of the First World War would put them in such a position that they couldn't win a Second World War, I don't know. Who can say? But regardless of that, this war would lose the ideological element that the Second World War had in our timeline. Without giving too much away, the Nazis obviously uh, wouldn't rise had the Kaiser remained in power in Germany, which he would uh, since Germany won the war. And of course, the communists don't hold power in Russia. So that's that taken care of. What I can say for sure is that the Cold War, as we understand it today, wouldn't happen. There would be no ideological struggle between communism and capitalism, East versus West, because, again, the communists didn't take power. But this doesn't mean left-wing politics would have no relevance in the 20th century. Maybe, and this is just maybe, more left-wing policies would be adopted in Western democracies in a world where the Bolsheviks never took over in Russia. Let me explain. The early Cold War led to a rejection of any major changes. The Red Scare, as it's now known today, saw fear of communism reach an all-time high, especially in the USA, with some saying that the great social movements of the 1960s and 1970s were slowed down as a result. This, however, would be different had there been no great enemy to direct this anger and fear at. If communism remains an ideological concept with no country making it seem real, 
then it's possible that movements once labelled as radical and commie sympathisers, etc, etc, in our timeline, might actually achieve their goals with less obstacles, and possibly sooner. Now, this is where it gets a bit far-fetched, in my view. Um, The further away we get from the divergence point, the more I need to build on fictional events that didn't occur in real life. So the further we go from the divergence point, it just becomes more and more like guesswork. But that's just one of the infinite number of possibilities that could have happened had Lenin and the Bolsheviks not taken over Russia. And that's where I'm going to leave it for today's episode. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it. If you made it this far, well done. If that felt at any point a bit rushed or a bit vague in some areas, uh, that's because it probably was. Um, There's just so much to talk about with this scenario and I found that when I was planning it and writing it, there were so many opportunities for me to go off on a tangent and I knew that uh, if I tried to cover everything this episode would be like four hours long which uh, I'm sure you all have better things to do with your time so I wouldn't want to do that to you. Let me know if you enjoyed this episode remember uh, I have a twitter uh, which is at nothistorypod you can send ideas that you'd like to hear about in an episode of its own that's there for you as well. Also, a big thanks to my cousin, Nick, for composing the stings for this episode. Um, They came in really handy and I think they make a really nice change and uh, I hope we all like them. So uh, thank you, Nick. Thanks a lot. What else? What else is there? Um, No, I think that's it. All right then. Well, again, thanks very much for watching this episode of This Is Not History and I will see you in the next episode. Bye.